Okay, I'm going to uh, talk about, obviously, uh, certain or very, very significant events that happened this week. And what appears to be actually the most significant event of all, you know. I had mentioned that, um, that before the Mashiach comes, there has to be what's called rehabilitation. Because the Rosham is not going to bring the Jewish people to an individual like the Mashiach that is so unbelievably lofty and holy and so on, you know. So therefore there will be what's called the rehabilitation process. You know, we see that where it says that the Rabbanisham is going to gather the Jews no matter where they are, the ends of heaven. He's going to gather them from the ends of, the he uh, the ends of heaven. He's going to gather them and bring them to himself. And that really in many ways is the promise of God. You know, and of course it's, uh, we don't really understand in many ways how that's going to be. Because the Jews basically are, 11 million Jews are gone assimilated, intermarried, unaffiliated. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible destruction of uh, what's happened to the Jewish people. You know. But in any case, there will be this rehabilitation. Now, I also mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, in order for a rehabilitation really to take place, you really need three situations. One situation is the concept of security. That Israel has to be secure. You know, right now there's they're threatened on all sides by their enemies. So the question, of course, is people don't want to move there because you never know what. The war could break out from Iran, from the Arabs, from, uh, you know, there's so many different places, uh, uh, from the Houthis, whatever, that it could break out. Uh, Hezbollah and Hamas and so on, uh, I, I, you know, and uh, Syria, whatever. So, Clearly, Israel has to be secure. That's a, a, a first requirement. A second requirement I had mentioned is prosperity. That the Jewish people in Eretz Israel have to be prosperous. You have to be able to move there and make a living and have some type of economic security. Uh, it has to be what's called a user-friendly state where people feel okay to move there and not have to worry about, you know, how am I going to survive here? Uh, certainly economically and besides security and so on, you know. And the third thing I mentioned is religiosity. That Israel has to become a religious place. What does that mean? Not that you coerce or compel people to observe halacha. No, that's not what you do. But I had mentioned a while back, a couple of weeks, that the way to do it is to bring Torah back to the Jews. And we know, as I said then, that when a person learns Torah, and he becomes familiar with it, then the enormous spiritual uh, force in Torah itself will have an effect on your neshama, your soul, and you come back. That's the way to do it. You don't coerce people, compel people, and so on. Of course not. But anyway, uh, these are the three things that basically have to, uh, in, in that sense, <clears throat> have to happen in order for a rehabilitation process to, to begin. Now, this week, amazingly so, or the week that just passed, actually, whatever, um, we have major steps in that direction. And I'd like to talk about each one and analyze them and show in many ways how they demonstrate that it's actually happening, that redemption is really happening. Rehabilitation is really happening. 
And that's the amazing thing about that. <clears throat> so <clears throat> let's take a look at the first thing. <clears throat> now, I've said many times over the years, you know, um, the concept of who is Trump. And I, I had said that Trump really is Asov, an Asov or Edoim, right? Um, that in the end of time, since Esau or Edom want to repent, to do tshuva, therefore God says that in the end of time you will again come back to do tshuva and you will assist Yaakov, you will assist your brother, as it says, Rav the older will serve the younger. Now that's what should have been. However, Esau, of course, became a Russia. Oh, and I've said this, you know, many, many shun before and so on. And the Medrash reads, Rav Ya'avoyd the older shall serve the younger, as Rav Ya'avoyd because in the Torah there's no punctuation, which means that the older will persecute to oppress the younger. And that is, of course, when Yaakov needs a, an atonement for the sins. Then, Ye, then Esav, or Edom, becomes the main, of course, uh, agent for that persecution and therefore the main agent to bring an atonement or a kapora to Yaakov. However, <clears throat> that will ultimately change in the end where the whole job of Esau basically is to assist uh, Yaakov. And what we see in the Torah, which is something very important, is when Esau does finally meet Yaakov, he says a very interesting statement. He says, let that which is yours be yours. Now we know that Esau was coming with 400 guys or men to kill Yaakov. And of course Yaakov was tremendously afraid. That's what we know. But in the end, Esau says to Yaakov, let that which is yours be yours. What does that mean? So Rashi says that from here, we learn from that what? That Esau said to Yaakov that Everything that you took from me is yours. It's okay. I'm okay with that. And of course, he was coming because he was enraged that Yaakov stole his brachas. And now he says, it's yours. You can keep it. And so on. That's tshuva. Because he recognized that the blessings that Isaac Yitzchak gave legitimately now belongs to Yaakov. Because he's the one that, of course, is in line with the brachas, the blessings, because he is righteous. And Esau realized that. Now, for a person like Esau, a Russia, an evil person, to acknowledge that is tshuva. Because he acknowledges that these blessings belong to who? To somebody who is holy and righteous. So that's a very important idea. So therefore, Esau in the end of time is Yehilucha Shalach, that that which is yours be yours. Esau, of course, becomes a toiv Esau, the good part of Esau, right? And, uh, of course, as a result of that, um, in the end, of course, he, he does tshuva. And I have said many, many times that Donald Trump is a reincarnation of Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, who, together with Rebbe, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, was the perfect relationship of Rav Ya'avoyt Sawyer, uh, as Rashi brings down and so on. <coughs> in any case... <coughs> Now, I have also said something very important. Now, what is the job then of Tev Shebeisav? What is his job? And I mentioned that there are basically four jobs that Esav has. 
Now, we know Esav, of course, became Edom. The Edom, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and many times, that Edom is Christianity, and Christianity is, of course, Western civilization, Rome, Western civilization, and, uh, and therefore, uh, Trump, who's the, the head, really, of Western civilization, is Esav. But it's Esav that's doing tshuva. That's a very important concept. And he has four jobs. First job is to do what? Is to assist the Jews, because that's what repentance means, in doing what? To assist them in them doing the tikkun, especially to assist them that they have to get back the land of Israel. All of it. And that's his first job. The second job I had mentioned, right, is to protect Israel from its enemies. Third job is to make America great. Why? Because the key idea is that America, when it becomes great, now has unbelievable status and credibility to the world. And if they feel very close to the Jews in Israel, Israel and so on and so forth, then of course the whole world will want to be close to America. And as a result of that, they will want to become close to Israel. And that's, of course, exactly what's happening. And the fourth idea I mentioned is that his job also is to, is to take America and change it into a much greater moral society, which he's doing by the Supreme Court, because it is the judges that really determine the morality of the country, and also all the 140 judges, federal judges, that he's appointed. In any case, that's his job. Now, has he done these jobs? Well, let's take a look. We know. One, the first thing he did, which is unheard of, is he declared Jerusalem as the capital of Israel for the first time. This is the official policy of the United States to declare, in other words, that's Asaph saying to Jacob, Yaakov, Jerusalem is yours. You see, I'm not going to contest it. The second thing, of course, is that he moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. The third thing is that if Jerusalem is the capital, then guess what? Then the country, Israel, belongs to the Jews. Because obviously you can't have a capital if you don't have the country. So that's the third thing that he did. Then the fourth thing he did, and this took everybody by surprise, is he declared the Golan to be Israel. You see? And now, this week, he did something again, which is out of nowhere. He said that Yehud and Shomron, which the territories, right, uh, that there's nothing illegal about it. That's, uh, you know, which, which means, of course, that it's legal. According to international law, right, it is legal. Yehud and Shomron is legally the Jews. You see, and that's a very, very important concept. Why? Think about that. What has been the major Arab <coughs> complaint or their claim? That the Jews are an occupied territory, right? That's what they say. You know, that the territory of Yehud and Shimon does not belong to the Jews, you see. I mean, they say the whole state doesn't belong to the Jews. But certainly these territories, right? And therefore the Jews have no right to these territories, right? And therefore... You need a two-state solution, or you got to give it back to us. But all of a sudden, when Trump comes out and makes the official United States policy, that what? That the territories, Yehud and Shimon, is legally Jews. 
voila, as they say, then there's no more, uh, you know, no more dispute. You know, it's not occupied. You see, you can't occupy that which is yours. I mean, you could, but it's a legal occupation, you see. So what Trump really said is that you're not occupiers. So what he did, he just threw out a major claim of the Arabs. Just threw it right out. And they always say that, you know, it's illegal, it's occupied territory. You know, the United States now has an official policy that the Yehud and Shimon legally belongs, according to international law, to the Jewish people. So he just threw out the entire claim of the Arabs. Now it's astounding. So take a look what he's doing. Now if he did that, that's the end of this two-state solution, isn't it? You see? What's the two-state solution? It's one thing if you claim that it's occupied territory. So you could say, okay, so we want it back. But if it's, if it's not occupied territory, if it's legally the Jewish people's, why would you, why, why would you, why should we want to give back our territory? There's no business giving you back territory. There's no two states anymore. You see? So he just threw out what everybody's screaming, Europe and so many other countries, well, it's got to be a two-state solution. What are you talking about? It's theirs. They don't have to be, give back anything. You know? So what he just did, he dismissed the entire idea of two states, which is amazing. You see, you know, I mean, maybe they can claim, please give us something anyway, you know, even if it's yours, but they can no longer claim it's ours and therefore you're occupying it. This is, this is what's called <coughs> revolutionary. It's astonishing that, and this is the, the, uh, the import uh, or the, the uh, consequences of what the United States just did. And Trump did it, you see. Even though what's amazing is that, well, why would he do that? Because he just put a major obstacle in having the Arabs make peace with Israel, you know, with his uh, peace plan. Why would he do that? You know, it doesn't make sense. And the answer is because that's his job. His job is really to give, to, to give back Israel back to the Jews. You see, that's the classic of Yehilech HaShelach. Let that which is yours be yours. And that's what Trump is doing. It's absolutely amazing. He just did it this week. Is this, a, is this, is this rectified what the Rob said was Donald Trump's first or second, I forget which one, mistake regarding the peace plan? No. Uh, that's a long time Sorry. ago. Wow. <laughs> no. No. Uh, I'm, that's about a couple of years ago. You know, no. anyway. <clears throat> uh, so therefore, this is clearly the repercussions of what Trump did. I mean, when you think about it, what Trump is basically doing, right, is he's giving back uh, Israel back to the Jews. And America, you know, if America says we recognize it, guess what? You could take that to the bank. It's recognized. Well, who's going to stand up to America, you know? And which is amazing. He's like the, the greatest friend Israel has ever had, you know? And who is it? It's Esau, his brother. You know what I'm saying? And that's really who he is. He's the Toiv Shebeisav, you see. And besides that, he's also done other things. He's taken away the funding from uh, UNRWA of the UN. You know, he's put the, the embassy that the consulate that represented the Arabs, he mixed it, he put it together with the U.S. consulate and so on. He took away money 
from Arabs and so on. It's astounding what the man is doing, you see. And um, that's really his job. And he's doing it. So this week that, that he's done that is a major move toward the redemption. Because I think basically what else is there to give back to the Jews? They have Israel, they have the Golan, they have Jerusalem, they have the embassy there, which is a recognition politically and so on, right? And now they have Yudin Shomron, which really now means that they can now build settlements, you know, without any problem because if it's my, of course I can build a settlement, it's my territory, my land. So they can actually build settlements. And I think also, I think Pompeo also said that the settlements are not an obstacle to peace. I think he also said that. What was that? He did say that. Yeah. That's a, I mean, think about that. You know, Carter, all these guys, you know, Bush and Clinton, it's an obstacle to peace. He just came out and said, no way. So therefore, they can now build, they can annex the whole, and of course they will do that, they can annex Yehud and Shomron. And that's the end of the, the obstacles to build settlements. Unbelievable. What the repercussions of that statement is, is absolutely unbelievable. That moves the Geula, the redemption, forward. You see. And in many ways, uh, so what, what happens now is that the land is now being returned to the Jews. You see. And it's funny because Europe just came out with a law, you know, and they said that, you know, if anything comes from, you know, Yehud and Shimon, it's got to be labeled that it's coming from occupied territory, you see, which is the exact opposite of what Trump just did. So in many ways, it's the second thing that Trump has to do is to protect the Jews from the enemies of the Jews, which is the UN, which we know that uh, Nikki Haley did an incredible job, Europe, you know, uh, and so many countries that are against the Jews. It's astounding to watch a president deviate from the history of the United States. No other president can even touch what Trump did. And of course, ultimately speaking, whoever's the next prime minister is going to annex Yehud and Shomron. And therefore, that opens up the whole Yehud and Shomron to a massive building campaign. So if anybody wants to buy an apartment, you can now think about it somewhere in Yehud and Shomron. What was that? More affordable. <coughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. There's an enormous... Big settlements. Oh, yeah. Maybe even cities that are affordable. Yeah, sure. So this is a tremendous move toward the redemption. You know, uh, Israel now has legal right to all of their country. See, anyway. The second thing which is very interesting, which is also going on, and the question is, of course, is the security. So the question is Iran, which is a very big question, of course. Iran, of course, they hate Israel. They keep talking about destroying Israel and so on. So the, the, real, the real question is, well, how do you get rid of this enemy? Because they are threatening Israel existentially. That's what they're doing. They're threatening Israel existentially. So then the question is, what will be the end, the result? You know, how do you get rid of these guys? Is there going to be a war? 
between Israel and Iran or between the US and Iran there's no question about it that they're certainly advancing uranium purifying uranium centrifuges and so on there's no question about that but if Israel goes to war with Iran it's very serious because Iran based on the precision destruction of the Saudi Arabia oil wells God forbid who knows how many Jews could die you know, they have now missiles with drones and missiles that can reach Eretz Israel. you see. So that could be a catastrophic war, even if Israel wins, right? You know, where they take out, you know, however they want to do it to Iran and so on, you know. But Iran has many missiles aimed at Israel. So, chas v'shalom, God forbid, that could be catastrophic to Israel. Because how big is Israel anyway? It's only got really four major cities. You see, you know. <clears throat> but uh, what I think will happen is this. You know, God is not going to do that. He's going to say to Israel, listen, you don't have to worry. I'm taking out the Arab countries by themselves. They are being destroyed internally. You don't have to fire a bullet. You don't have to waste your money. You see, there's no Jewish lives lost. Internally, they are being destroyed. You think about that. You know, there's what? There's Libya. You know, Egypt is in turmoil, right? Yemen is in threat, or Yemen is, is, is dying. It's unbelievable what's going on in that country, you know? Now we have riots in Lebanon. Lebanon. It's almost like payback because you've allowed Hezbollah to operate from your country. Then you have Iraq has major riots. Syria, of course, is a basket case. You have riots in Afghanistan, you know, with the Taliban threatening to take it over. If you think about it, the whole Arab world is collapsing. You know, we thought in 2011 there would be an Arab Spring. It's not an Arab Spring. It's an Arab disaster. One state after the other is either a failed state or it's collapsing because of riots. So in many ways, that's a chesed, you see. You know, you have to remember, it says in the Novi, in the Prophets, you know, you know, For one second I will abandon you. This is what God says. But in tremendous compassion, I will gather you. What does that mean? That means that, you know, in the end of time, the redemption will happen with incredible mercy. And we're watching that, that the Arab world is collapsing. The enemies of Israel that certainly were enemies, you know, they're all collapsing by themselves internally. You see, it's unbelievable. It's like the Soviet Union, you know. They were tremendously enemies to America and the whole West. And they just collapsed. They, they shut down the government, uh, you know, by themselves. Nobody had to go to war. There was no war. You know, that war could, a, war could have been an atomic war and so on, you know. God just said, you know, it's over with. That's it. I'm closing the door. I'm closing. The, I'm shutting the lights. And that's it. So the, therefore the Soviet Union is no more. Of course, it's Russia. And Russia basically is not communist. It's dictatorship. Putin and so on, but it's not communist. You know, they don't believe in that anymore. It's over with. That, that whole economic the, uh, philosophy is gone and so on, you know. So God, when he wants, can destroy a country internally. doesn't have to have a war, you see. And apparently he's done that with the Arab nations and Israel. He said, listen, 
I'm going to do this with incredible mercy. You don't have to do anything. No fights, no wars, no nothing, right? I'll take them out. You watch. That's all. And each of these countries collapse, you know. And now Lebanon, as I mentioned, Lebanon, you have, you have Libya, you know, you have Iraq. They all have riots going on. And lo and behold, Iran is having riots all over the place. You know, the question is, are we watching the end of Iran? In other words, Iran can be taken out, not with Israel fighting Iran, but Iran can be taken out just like all the other Arab countries or Muslim countries, you see. And they wanted to raise the oil, the, the price of gasoline or whatever. And there's a tremendous amount of riots all over Iran. There are hundreds and hundreds of people being killed, which shows you <clears throat> the, uh, the, uh, the severity, the seriousness of what is going on. And of course, when people die, then people become enraged and incensed. So that even fuels the rebellion even greater, you see. But it's happening. So the question is, it's happening this week, same thing. See, so are we witnessing the beginning of the end of Iran internally without Israel having to go to war? You see, that would be absolutely incredible if that happened. And I'll tell you something interesting. We want, we, the, what's happening now is also unusual that there's may, there are many nations that are having tremendous amount of rebellions all over the world. It's interesting, you know. <clears throat> For instance, besides Lebanon, Iraq, you have Hong Kong. There's a major rebellion going on in Hong Kong against uh, China. Again, because of corruption, because they're sick and tired of the dictatorships and so on. So they are fighting China, you see. Then you have Chile, which is interesting. Chile also, there's major riots, they're burning banks, they're burning stores and so on, to such an extent where many of the Jews are thinking of leaving Chile. You see? So Chile is also having a tremendous amount of unrest. Then we have unrest in Bolivia, which really used to be anti-Semitic, you know, and so on. Venezuela is basically a basket case. That, that's over, you know, and so on, you know. And you have, uh, like I say, you know, in, in many different countries, Venezuela, I mentioned, you know, you have Libya, you have Syria, you have Yemen, which is almost finished. So Lemon is almost finished and so on. You have a lot of different rebellions against the government because people are beginning to see how, many, how much corruption there is in terms of countries. It's almost like some type of a spirit is sweeping mankind. You know, it's like a spirit that God gives to the world when he wants to change it, that he enables people to see the truth and he gives them the courage to overthrow the dictators uh, that, that are tremendous, tremendously evil. Does Rob include the, the populist movements that are... What was that? Does Rob include in this the, the, the populist movements that say they're happening in Europe and Britain, the, the, Brexit, the, desire, the desire to leave? Well, it's not a rebellion, but there's a big chaos in Britain. Not in Britain. Violent. It's not violent, yeah. But there's no question about that, that there's a major division even in England. You know, there's no question about that and so on, you know. But there's no question that there's a tremendous amount of what's called unrest in the world. And it's against corruption and against dictatorships and so on. Ukraine. Uh, well, Ukraine is, no, Ukraine now is, is uh, much more stable now that you have... Uh, yeah, 
anti-corruption election, basically. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, you know. But anyway, so we see that's happening also. So what's interesting is will the Iranian rebellion, uh, what do you call it, accelerate and really begin to destroy Iran from internally, so therefore Israel will not have to go to war and they will be, uh, you know, that'll hopefully nullify and remove Iran. It's something certainly to watch. Yeah. You talk about Hong Kong. Yeah. The um, the Orient. What yes. parts do they have to play? I mean, we know Yaakov, we have Esau. Well, I once mentioned, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, uh, China is basically Yefes, you know. So in that sense, the part, whatever Yefes plays, they're just part of the world, you know, and, and, and so on, you know. Is uh, the legend of the... No, that's not China. That's India. India. Yeah, and so on. Yeah. Anyway, now we come to the third thing happening. You know, which is Israel, and what we're watching in Israel is historical. You should know these things had never happened before. You know, it's interesting that you know uh, <clears throat> there has been two elections both of which failed. One was in April, uh, that Netanyahu failed to put together a coalition. Another was in September. Again, he failed. And not only he failed, but Gantz also failed to put a coalition. It's like God is saying, and we know that these are Erev and God is saying to them, it's almost like he's saying to them, listen, you can have all the elections you want, but you're not going to have a government. Because the way you can look at it now is that the end, the era of Rav's ability to dominate the Jewish people is over. It's closing. But that has tremendous repercussions for the redemption because that has to happen at the end. Uh, and like I say, twice they have failed to put together. Now, that's miraculous. And not only that, but it's clearly historical. This is what's happening. And as a result of that, Gideon Sa, which I've said many times, uh, he, uh, that uh, my feeling is he will be the prime minister, and he will be able to put together a coalition. You see, you know. What is strange, however, I find, and I've thought about it, you know, is that even if God doesn't want, for instance, Netanyahu to be a, a prime minister, you know, why is the Rabbani Shalom Punishing him. Nothing happens without the will of God. We know that. You see. So we can ask the question that there's something wrong here. Even if you don't want the heir of Ram to continue. But why destroy Netanyahu? That's what's happening. It's clearly a decree. It's a divine decree. Because nothing can happen without, without God's, of course, intervention and decision. But the question is, why do that? And so on. Because in many ways, Netanyahu has done a tremendous amount of good for the Jewish people. So, let's take a look at what's happening to him. You have to understand that this apparently is an oinish, it's a punishment to Netanyahu. And the question which uh, I'll try to answer is, why is this happening to him? You know, remember there's two concepts here. One is to terminate the heir of Rav. To terminate those people 
that really are not interested in any way of promoting Judaism or promoting Torah. Okay, that's one. The second thing is to destroy a person. But what we see clearly is that God is not, not allowing any government uh, that is in many ways opposed and opposition doesn't necessarily mean against means that you're not interested in furthering it and as far as you're concerned you don't mind if other anti-religious movements are successful it's the same idea you see uh, so that we clearly see that this is what's happening uh, but when you think about that <clears throat> um, that Netanyahu, now I have nothing personally against the man, obviously, you know. There are many great things that he did. I mean, he was really, uh, you know, exceptional uh, in terms of his, his uh, support and, 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 and uh, outright statement about the, um, the Jewish state, the security, and so on. So in that way, you know, uh, those things that he did was in many ways outstanding and so on, you know. And in a certain sense, I feel sorry for him. Because what he's about to go through, he hasn't even begun to experience it, experienced it, although he has to a certain extent. Uh, first of all, there is enormous humiliation of being indicted. I mean, he's been indicted by Mandelblit, who's the Attorney General. Uh, that itself, and he's been indicted for three crimes, whatever they are. First of all, that itself is a humiliation. Terrible. You know, to, to be humiliated, to be embarrassed that way. <clears throat> the second thing is it's humiliation that he faces not only to himself and his family, but to Israel. He's now a, an indicted sitting prime minister, you know. So imagine he's got to walk into the Knesset and they all look at him. Hey, you've been indicted criminally. Of course, which is terrible, you know. Uh, and not only in terms of that, you know, but in front of the world. He's a world leader in many ways. He is considered one of the greatest statesmen in the world. And now, when he goes anywhere in the world, he's going to be looked at, hey, you are criminally indicted, you know, by your own attorney general. You know, we're not talking about another party. We're talking about your legal system has indicted you. So he's now going to be embarrassed or humiliated in front of the entire world. I have to understand what he's going to go through now, you know, <clears throat> uh, so, uh, which, is, which is terrible. And therefore, as a result of that, you know, okay, he's been prime minister for 10 years, very nice, you know, but his whole legacy is threatened. You know, it's one thing to retire, you know, you retire and you're out of it, and, you know, your legacy, all the good things you did are intact, but his legacy is threatened because this is going to follow him. You know, wherever he goes, that you've been indicted criminally. Uh, these are terrible, uh, what do you call it? It's a terrible uh, situation that he is now going to have to face. Now, I'm not even talking about other things that he's going to have to face. You know what I'm saying? Uh, for instance, the, the money. Do you know what it costs to hire lawyers? I, I read that it's already cost him a million dollars just to get to this point. You know, he's got five or six lawyers, I think he's hired and so on. And they couldn't even get him off the hook being indicted. You know, how good are they? Are they be able to get him off totally and so on, you know? Uh, so we're talking about the fact that it's going to cost him a fortune. That's a terrible punishment. The millions of dollars. It doesn't make a difference if he has it or not. 
just to spend that kind of money on legal fees is absolutely terrible. Uh, so every night he's going to go to sleep with this inc incredible anguish, Admas Nefesh, agony, that he's got to face courts. Do you know how much time he's going to have to spend defending himself against three charges? So the real question, of course, is how in the world could he be, be prime minister if he's always thinking about, okay, what am I going to say in court? And he's got to meet with his lawyers and so on, you know? There's no time to become, uh, to run a government. <clears throat> That's why in many ways the Likud has to wake up and say, hey, we, he, we can't let him represent us and so on, you know? And then you never know, he could be convicted. Like Olmert. He could be convicted and sent to jail. That's a real possibility. And one thing would seem obvious is that if Mandelblit didn't think he had a case, he has to be an idiot to go and indict a sitting prime minister. Because if he is not convicted, then Mandelblit's career is over, if you think about that. Because, you know, what kind of, well, how do you go and indict a sitting prime minister? He must really think that he has a rock-solid case, he and his whole staff of lawyers. Uh, you know, so when you think about that, this is absolutely terrible. You know, I mean, I feel sorry for the guy. You know, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. So the question that you have to ask yourself for those who are into Hashkafa and so on is, is, what did he do that deserves such horrendous treatment? Why is God allowing this to happen? Because believe it or not, I mean, it, it, don't, don't fool yourself. This is a xerum in Hashemayim. This is a divine decree that what? First of all, what they did is they destroyed him politically because he was always considered invincible. Of course he's going to put a coalition. So he failed once in April, which is a terrible stain on his invincibility, so to speak. And then he failed again in September. So basically what the Ravonisham did is he, he made him a failed politician. You see. And then, okay, so he failed. How could you represent, how could he represent the Likud if he failed twice? Why, why would they go with this guy again? You see? Now, there's no guarantee. And even if they had a third election, who says that he's going to do it again? The likelihood is that nothing changes. So anyway, the Likud has to drop him, which itself is humiliating if they do drop him. You see? So that's certainly a, a, a terrible thing that, uh, you know, uh, if he uh, uh, is... Uh, dropped oh, but then he's got to face a criminal charge so not only has God destroyed him as a politician right he also has allowed a criminal indictment which is now humiliation and all the things I've mentioned question is how do we understand this really because it's two different things he could have just failed politically and that's it then he realizes, jigs up, as they say, and he goes and retires, and that's all. Instead, no. No, you're not getting away with just political failure. You are going to be indicted, and therefore you're going to suffer the anxiety, the anguish, humiliation, and so on, and the, and the stain on your legacy. Why? That is the question. So I, I thought about that, you know, because like I said, they're two different things. One could happen without the other. You see? And we know that this is a zero. This is the judgment against them. Why would the Bosham do that? Now, you know, a lot of this stuff you can think about, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, why it happened and so on, you know? But really when you begin to think about it, I thought about it, you know, 
and I have reached certain conclusions. You can, people can disagree with me, but you cannot disagree with the fact that this is a punishment. No way, because God controls the world, and therefore He hit him twice. The question is why? In two different ways, failed politician and criminal indictments. That's the question. I thought about it, and I, I, I feel that there are reasons for that. And I think in the end it boils down to something which I think a lot of people don't want to understand or admit. You know, <clears throat> the problem is this, when you are in power, you are responsible to use that power in a way which is righteous, you see. You can't abuse the power and do nothing. Can't do that, you see. And if you abuse your power, if you neglect what you should be doing, then in a certain sense you are held accountable, you see. So the question is, well, what did he do that's wrong, you know? Well, the first thing he did that was wrong, really, when you think about it, is when he joined Lapid, I think the year was 2013, you see. He joined, he allowed, he allowed Lapid to become part of the coalition, and Lapid, you know, gave terrible uh, decrees, government laws against the Haredim, if you remember that, in terms of education, in terms of the draft, in terms of the economy, he took away money from the Haredim. There, there were many things that he did, Lapid, you see, that he could only have done because he was part of the government, you see. And therefore Netanyahu had no business joining with him, even if I think he had 21 seats, you see. Because how do you sit with a guy? First of all, your natural partners are the religious. So you are betraying your natural partners, the religious, by putting an incredible anti-Haredi person. How do you do that? You see, and that's what he did. You know, why he did that? You could ask yourself. But there's no question that that was a terrible move against Haredim. Because if you think about it, look, they learned Torah, they, they're moist and nefesh, they sacrificed themselves, they observed the mitzvahs. How do you do that to people? Not only that, how many times did the Haredim join you in the coalition that enabled you to rule, to become prime minister? How do you do that to a person? Big mistake, you see. People think they can get away with it which we'll see about Lieberman and so on, you know, that you can do, you think that you can besmirch God, make a fool out of God, and go against him and violate, you know, his commandments, besides violating the, the security, the, you know, the, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the friendship that the, the Haredim had with you for all the years. It doesn't work that way. Why, why is the delay in punishing him? Because what happened? We don't know why there's a delay. That we don't know, you see. But it's like it says, you know, the millstone of God grinds exceedingly slow. Takes time till it gets to you, but exceedingly fine. And when it hits you, when the xera is pronounced, then it's terrible what happens to a person, you see? And that's obviously what's happening to Netanyahu. So that's the first thing that I could see, which is a big mistake that he did, you know? Became an enemy of God. That's really what it is, you know? Second thing, you know, if you begin to think about it, it's God, I can imagine God saying to him, wait a minute, I gave you the IDF. You have a strong army, you see? 
You have a strong army. And not only that, you have a president who backs you all the way. Now's the time. You see, Trump loves Israel. You see, so you got a guy who's going to back you to, to completely. You see, and not only that, the Arabs are all running to do business with you. So it's not even them. They're, they, they can't stand Abbas because, they, hey, this guy's stopping us. You know, you know, he keeps refusing to make peace with Israel. So he's stopping us from doing what? From joining with Israel. Uh, so he's got all the, the, all the incredible favorable conditions. Instead, what does he do? Right? Think about that. The South lives in fear. How much fear is going on in Siderot and so on? Do you know what? Imagine living in a city where any minute you got 15 seconds to get to a, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, shelter and so on and so forth. Well, what's that supposed to mean? How do you allow that to happen? You see, not only that, do you know how much property the Gazans destroyed with their balloons? Unbelievable, millions of dollars. So the question is, excuse me, you're the prime minister. You've got Trump behind you. You've got an incredible army. You know what I'm saying? You've got even the Arabs that want to join you. So then why are you allowing Arabs, Gaza, to destroy all this property? Why are you allowing them, right, to kill people? Why are you allowing them, right, to create an unbelievable amount of anguish and agony and fear among Israeli citizens? That's what you're supposed to do. And then to boot which my feeling is, is really terrible, there are people who died, you know. You know, people are dying and they have incredible grief and anguish that you could have prevented. You see, what are you doing? They're firing missiles at you and you're firing missiles at them. What are you doing? You're playing ping pong with them? You should go in and destroy them. How can a prime minister allow this? Fear, property damage, death. You know what I'm saying? And all kind, and not only that, by doing this, you are displaying tremendous weakness to the world. And Arabs, of course, you know, Iran, they take a look at this and say, well, they're not going to go to war, so we can do a lot of things. You are emboldening enemies of Israel to take action, Hezbollah and Hamas and so on, because they see you're a paper tiger. Yeah, but wait a minute, you're the what? You're the prime minister, you see? So this doesn't make any sense. And remember, if you are empowered to do something and you don't, then there's tremendous claims against you. You see, that's what happens. So in one sense, he's a tragic figure. He's done tremendously good for Israel. You know, I mean, to face the UN, right? And to face, to go to the Congress and talk behind Obama's back. I mean, Obama must have been going crazy, you know? <clears throat> These are tremendous merits that he has. But at the same time, if you think about that, he has failed as a prime minister to do what? The greatest, the most important job of a prime minister is security, safety for its citizens. You see, how many years is Siderot being bombed? Years, decades, which is incredible when you think about that. And they all live in fear. The economy is shot down there, you know, and, and, and so on. And people die. What, what's going on here? This whole thing doesn't make sense, you know. And he could. Yeah, of course, they have this Cheshbonus, the, the army. Yeah, if we do something, then how are we going to support them? Well, what do you mean? They press the red button. It's over with, you know. There's a thing called the red line. They went over the red line. Jews die. 
the life of one Jew is worth more than the whole position of Netanyahu as a Prime Minister. It's like Rabbi Aaron Kotler, famous story, where the Jews were dying in the Holocaust, and he got a meeting to, with Irving Bunim, who was his, uh, his, uh, his, what? Liaison and so on, you know? And they went to see Morgenthau, who was the Secretary of the Treasury. Morgenthau was Jewish. So Rabban wanted to convince him, whatever, to help them, or give money, whatever, to save the Jews. So he, he, he went to see Morgenthau. Imagine the Secretary of the Treasury, you know, I think it was whatever, 1942, 43, whatever, you know. And he's sitting there, and uh, he's explaining in Yiddish, and Babunim was translating, you know, and he's saying this and that. So, you know, Morgan, Morgan I was, well, Rabbi, what can I really do? You know, the old story, right? Pushing it off, right? So, Rabbi Kotler, this, this, is, what, you know, this is what a Godel does. He looked at Morgenthau and he said in Yiddish, you know, um, that the life of one Jew is worth more than your whole position. Tells that to the Secretary of the Treasury, you know. So the story goes that Irving Bunim was shocked. You, you don't talk to the Secretary of the Treasury that way. You know, the Lebenfen ain't yids, maybe the answer Stella. It's worth more than your opposition. You know, the life of one Jew, yeah. So Bunim looked at Rabban Kotler and he says, uh, you serious? You want me to say this? You know? So Rabban Kotler looked at Bunim and told him in Yiddish, Zogim, say it to him. Fearless, you know? And Bunim said to him, the rabbi says, you imagine, you know, that the life of one Jew is worth more than your whole position as secretary. And Morgenthau, of course, was shocked, you know. But he realized that the, the, the dedication and the devotion of Rabban Kotler was extraordinary. You know what I'm saying? He saw that it was really serious. You know, he didn't really want to insult Morgenthau. But he realized, you know. So he said, okay, Rabbi, I'll see what I can do. Changed. And he tried to try to do things. And so on, you know. People don't realize what the life of a Jew is. You know, what do you mean the life of Jew? What do you mean? What, what do you, mean? you know, I, I remember Rabin used to say sacrifices for peace. Yeah, of course, and eventually God made him the sacrifice. We, the life, we don't understand what a Jew is. We do not understand what the life of a Jew is, you see. So if somebody goes and kills Jews, I mean, these guys are killing Jews, you know, Hamas, Hezbollah. You don't care, you know. But the life of that one Jew that died and the family that grieves and so on, who knows in heaven what it shakes up in heaven? You see, unfortunately, and he just allowed it. And the IDF, all of the, they have the power to go and stop this. They just sit and worry about, well, what are the Arabs going to say? What are you talking about? Jews are dying. They're frightened. They're in fear of property damage. Who knows what that did in heaven? You see, so when you put it, yeah, it is. We, we don't understand what the life of a Jew is. It's a tremendous mistake we make, you know. People get carried away by their own positions, you know, and so on, you know. But they have no idea. They have blood on their hands. That's what it is. And God waits. For, for whatever reason, we don't know why now, and so on, you know. God said, it's over. 
you will be punished severely. Not only will you be made a failed politician, but I'm going to take you out with utter humiliation in front of the entire world, you know, and so on, you know, in front of the Israeli people, in front of the Knesset, you see. So you're finished. And eventually the Likud has to drop him. They have to. Because he's a failed politician. That's the real reason. Forget about the criminal indictments, you know. He lost twice, so who's going to say, who's, who's going to say he's going to win again? Uh, you know, get, put the coalition together, which he won't, you see. So, uh, could you imagine what he is, the aggravation and the grief and the ag agony he's going through? But think about that. How many years went by and the, and the amount of agony and <coughs> anguish that Jewish people went through because he fundamentally did not do his job, what he should have done, and so on. Doesn't understand the life of a Jew, what it means. Anyway, so I believe that fundamentally, unfortunately for him, this is called payback. Because God, the justice of God is exact. Nobody suffers if they didn't sin. Nobody, no such thing, you see. And the fact that it's all happening one failure, two failures, and now criminal investigations, and so on. This isn't an accident. And you know, it's funny. Who's, who's prosecuting him? The Sutton. The Sutton is prosecuting Netanyahu. It's incredible. You know, and, and, and this is the, I believe, this is the, the claims. It's absolutely tragic. But, you know, there's a reason for this, and so on, you know. In any case, uh, especially when you think about the fact that of course he could have gone into Hamas he should have destroyed Hamas he's got Trump's backing what's his problem you know and because they're all afraid of the president of the United States but on the contrary you know and the IDF can take these guys out you know it's always funny to watch the IDF they know where everybody is you know because that's how they always tell people you know and so how do they figure out where the guys are you know when they want to retaliate because they know where everybody is they could take out Hamas probably in a week it's over with yet they allow them to exist you see and therefore Jews suffer we don't realize the punishment when you allow Jews to suffer and die that we don't realize the value of the life of a Jew any case like I say I feel sorry for the man but listen you know you want to accept the responsibility of being prime minister be careful you have to be careful because as Truman, Harry Truman used to say the buck stops here that's where it stops you see Anyway, so this is unfortunate, uh, and, and so on. And you should know one thing, all of these things are historical and they're miraculous. We're not looking here at Teva, natural order. We're looking at Nisim. It's a miracles. No coalition, once. No coalition, twice, right? And it's not just him. Gantz can't put a coalition. He can't coalition, you know? Why? Because fundamentally, I believe that this is the end of the era of Rav. And the next government will be the beginning, in many ways, of the redemption, the rehabilitation. Somehow things will change, you see. And, uh, and, 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 and that's why there's an absolute failure. Now, I want to talk a little about Lieberman. Lieberman, Lieberman is, is something to, uh, you know... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can, I, can I say something to comment on? Uh, on, on what? On uh, Netanyahu. You want to say something? Yeah. 
Oh, so I just want to ask your, your thought about it. I, th I thought there was another reason why Netanyahu would also be punished was the fact that so many years he was the prime minister, he had the ability to to bring back real education, <coughs> Jewish education to the Jewish people. That's, I think he hasn't had the, even had the well, that makes him history in, of education. Oh, oh yeah, he was. He was used to, well, yeah. And, and, and he, and he, and, and well, he had a paradigm with, with him. Yeah, yeah. But the, well, in fact, you know, he had every opportunity to, to improve and bring religious education to the Jewish people. Yeah, uh, what you're saying is absolutely true. You know, that's what makes him an heir of Rav. Yeah, but but I, I, no, but then, then everybody should have been punished also. I don't believe that's why he's punished. I believe it is the, the you know, the fact that Jewish life, no, you know, I, I believe that's the critical, the real critical ideas. What you're saying is true. I mean, he was the Misrata Chinuch, right? What are you doing? You're allowing Jewish kids, millions of kids, 1.5 million kids in, in the secular public schools, they right? They about Torah, nothing. Nothing, yeah, and not only that, he's allowing... That's an annihilation of the Jewish people. Yeah, so that, that's what makes him heir of Rav. Anyway, but I believe the real suffering that he's going to go through is not because of that. It's because of the enormous amount of Jewish suffering that he could have prevented. Anyway. Yeah, not Jews to be pulled out of their homes and the home was destroyed. What was that? Many homes were destroyed in the yeah. legal outposts, they call them. Uh, 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 yes, I'm not even going into that. I don't even know all the things that he allowed under his watch. And he's a prime minister. I don't even know all the things that the police did which in many ways was corrupt and illegal what they did. And he's the prime minister. He could have stopped it. Well, he's the boss, right? And he did nothing. I, I, like I said, I, you know, I, there's so much stuff that, he allowed, that I believe he allowed that he should have put a stop to it and so on. And he's not the only prime minister that did, did that and so on, you know? So I think when you add it all up, I think it's all part of the, uh, it's all part of the mix, you know? Now, Lieberman is an interesting person. Oh, wait, wait, one other thing. But if you're going to, what we're going to say is only the idea that they allowed the, the, the Jews to be killed and live under fear and so on and so forth. Yeah. All the other prime ministers did this also. Yes, that's right. So why weren't they punished the same way? You, I want to tell you something. That, that is not, they're not, that's not a question you can ask of God. What you can ask, you know, is he why Why him? Omit was punished, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah well, Omit was punished, but he got 18 months in prison. He did much worse than, I mean, because of him, Omit is the one who came up with the idea of, of uh, you know, of Gaza. And Sharon. Yeah, and Sharon. Well, Sharon was... You have 97% of... I, 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 yeah, we, we, we don't know why God does anything at any given time, why this and so on, you know. But I, in, in, in a certain way, I believe, as bad as it sounds, you know, that what God wants to do is a service to Netanyahu. Because either he gets it here, or he gets it in the next world. And I, I think that God said, listen, I'm going to give it to him here, and not in the next world, so he can get the next world. That is a cheshbon, as they say. That is a reason why God will do something. You know, to give him the punishment in this world, as opposed to the next world and so on. Anyway, now Lieberman uh, is a very interesting person because the whole thing happened because of, if you think about Lieberman, which is incredible, you know. Uh, but when you think about it, what is so interesting is this. It's a paradox. What's the paradox, you know? <clears throat> Lieberman is an anti-Haredi. Okay. 
he has done now things to the Haredim which is absolutely terrible you know he has embarrassed them he's badmouthed them he slandered them you name it and not only that he's created a tremendous amount of division among the Jewish people he's increased enormously the rage or the anger and the hatred that secular now have for religious Jews I mean what he did is really unforgivable which is you know however God will do that you know you know I mean I know I, I know why he did it because he's losing his constituency because there are basically no more Russians they're all Israelis so he's got to have a new cause so the new cause of course is to attract the secular against the Haredim of course that's not an excuse that's what he did but I find it interesting had he backed Netanyahu right let's say in April and he's the one we said I'm not gonna there were 60 seats that Netanyahu had all he needed was one that itself is a miracle that he was just one away from a coalition and he didn't have it so he needed Lieberman and Lieberman of course said no now what Lieberman should have done which is and that shows that he's an absolute fool he should have said okay because in being part of the government he could have got the Haredim to back off in some capacity you see instead he said no because you know I don't want the Haredim he wouldn't even negotiate basically now what's interesting is as a result of that Netanyahu could not form a government you see and it happened the second time again Netanyahu could not form a government you see so by doing that he destroyed the heir of Rav's ability to survive he killed the heir of Rav so you think wait a minute you're the one that's part of the heir of Rav on the contrary you should have joined with Netanyahu right you would have perpetuated the heir of Rav right and then you could do what you do whatever you want to do basically to the to the Haredim instead he is the very tool that God used to destroy the heir of Rav because once he wouldn't join with Netanyahu, right, he lost, he can't put a coalition, first round. Second round, he can't put a coalition. Yeah, but wait a minute, you are destroying the heir of Rav, you see? And now, you know, and, and, and therefore, uh, uh, what he did is he showed Netanyahu to be a failed politician. That's it. So it comes out that God used Lieberman to destroy the heir of Rav when he himself ha had every reason to what? To preserve the heir of Rav because he's part of the heir of Rav. I, I find that to be absolutely poetic if you think about that, you know? <clears throat> because that's what it says. Wild men don't know. The fool does not understand. What that means is that God uses the very enemies of Judaism and so on, that they themselves are responsible for the destruction of the enemies of Judaism. They don't know. He uses them. So Lieberman is a tool while the heir of Rav collapsed. When it would have been in his interest, as I said, right, to join the Tanyo, to do what he can with the, uh, the, uh, the Haredim, and then, then the Tanyo would have been back in business. And, and if he would have been back in business as a new prime minister, then it's questionable if Mandelbert would have indicted him.
Because when Netanyahu, uh, what he called, uh, closed the government for new elections in April and November of 2018, one of the reasons why he did that is so that he should be voted in again as prime minister, and therefore he would have a much greater position and stance to oppose Mandelblatt. You know, what a wrong reckoning, obviously, because that's what started the whole downfall of Netanyahu, you see. So therefore, you see, so therefore had Liebman supported him, you know, then Mandelblit would have had a much more difficult time of indicting him, because that was his original reason for what? For collapsing the whole government is that if he's truly the Prime Minister, which he thought he would be in April, right, then Mandelblit is going to have a much more difficult time because now he's chosen by the Israeli public to be the Prime Minister, you see? So he'll be a much stronger stance. See? They voted for me. It's amazing when you think about that. So what all Lieberman did was succeeded in weakening Netanyahu and destroying him. You see? And now what did he do? So he left the government open for somebody else to come in. Right? Gideon Saar. That's now going to work with the Haredim. See, because Gideon Saar is a Shem Shabbos. He's going to work it. So what did Lieberman accomplish? And I'll tell you something. I wouldn't be surprised. God will give success to Saar. And he's going to have a coalition. And it's very possible that he will have a coalition without Lieberman. Wouldn't that be incredible? What a poetic justice, you see? Because they already have 55 seats. So guess what? Everybody knows that when Saar's gonna put together a coalition, what's gonna happen, right? Everybody's gonna wanna join, because this is it, you see? And there are people from the, from the blue and white that are gonna join with uh, Saar because they wanna be in the government, not in the opposition. Because in the opposition, you're basically dead. There's nothing there, except sitting there. Uh, you see, everybody wants power. So wouldn't it be incredibly ironic if Saar can put a coalition together, all he needs is another six seats, right? Wouldn't it be incredibly or unbelievable, you know? Uh, and because there are parts of blue and white that are really right, there's a party called Telem, and Telem is, uh, I think, uh, Yalom. And Moshe Yalom is really right. The reason why he's with blue and white, which is left, is because he hates Netanyahu. So what they may do is just drop blue and white and join with, uh, with, uh, with Saar. So then he would have 60, I think they have five seats. So he'll get somebody else by offering him a ministership and so on, you know. But then you don't need Lieberman. So here's what's going to happen if that happens. Is Lieberman will be out of the, uh, the coalition. Lieberman will be in the opposition. And his party with the Russians and all that will be so incensed by the fact that he's not even in the government that his whole party will disband wouldn't that be incredible poetic justice <laughs> it's, it's called the outsmarted he outfoxed himself you know but the amazing thing is that God used the very person who hated the Haredim right to destroy the Erev Rav that is basically anti-Jewish or you know against Judaism. I find that to be a very interesting possibility. Really fascinating, so on. What? Yeah, yeah, it's a classic, yeah. Like Moshe Rabbeinu, who is to overthrow Egypt, actually is raised by Paroi to overthrow him. You see, it's, it's, it's a, God does that many times, Rob, and so on. Rob, not debating it, but does Rob know enough about 
Netanyahu's punishment yet before we get to like some kind of meta connected meta analysis of like we haven't seen the end of the story. I no, we we haven't. He, this is just he, beginning. He's, he's probably it's probably gonna get worse. Oh yeah. Likely get a lot. Oh yeah. Worse. I mean, yeah. You, look, he's gonna have to think about this all day long. How do I protect myself? Means he's got to get maybe new lawyers because these lawyers didn't do a very good job, right? And you know how much money it's going to cost him? He's going to be thinking about this all day because he's looking at a jail sentence. You know what I'm saying? If he gets convicted, he goes to jail. You see what I'm saying? This is serious business. And obviously, they don't care if a prime minister goes to jail. They'd send Olmert to jail. The only difference is Olmert, right, is after he was prime minister. He's a sitting prime minister, <clears throat> you know? So until they put together a government, this man is going to be incredibly humiliated. I don't care what his bravado. Yeah, I'm innocent and it's a witch hunt. Who, who cares what he says? In the end, he's going to look at everybody and they're going to say, by the way, you know, you've been criminally indicted for three crimes. And I think there was a poll, I'm not sure, but I think there was a poll on Friday where it said that 57, if I remember correctly, 57% of the electorate, more than half, said that he's indicted, he should resign. So he's losing the Israeli public. You see? So then who's supporting him? This has to be a source of unbelievable pain and anguish. You see? That's the Mida Keneged Bida. You've created such an enormous amount of pain and anguish to Jews with all these things. With Hamas and Hezbollah and you did nothing. People died. Uh, property was destroyed. Fear. Everybody's frightened in the South, you know. And you could have done it. Like I said, you know, how much anguish was caused because he refused to do his job. I mean, look, in many ways he did a great job. I'm not saying no. But in this area, security, safety, terrible. And the, the terrible thing about it is he could have taken him out. What's the problem here? It's unbelievable, you know. So if you want to look at that way, there's a media connected media, anguish for anguish. You see. You want to allow God saying, my people to be destroyed? Guess what? I will destroy you. It's a classic measure for measure. And so on, you know? So it's tragic. I feel sorry for the guy. You know? Because in many ways, he was, many aspects, an outstanding prime minister. There's no question about that. But listen, you know, in the, in the eyes of God, on the scales of justice, he obviously was found wanting. And I'm just thinking, this is the reason why, and so on, you know? But in any case, what the main idea to focus on is that this is incredible. <clears throat> you see, there are riots in Iran, and we don't know how far that's going to go. You see, Trump has now given back basically everything to the Jewish people. You see, and the air of Rav is disappearing. They're collapsing. You see, now we just have to see what happens and so on. Who takes over? Hopefully it'll be Gideon Tsar, and there'll be a new kind of uh, approach to the whole concept of you know, uh, of, uh, of Judaism. And that will begin uh, the rehabilitation process, which ultimately, of course, uh, winds up in the, uh, in the service of, uh, you know, it's a messianic process, and so on, you know. Anyway, that's my take. So it's, to, in many ways, it's tragic and so on. But the good news, at least, is that the rehabilitation process, I believe, has begun. If, which if, is amazing when you think about that. If, if he's that means we are really in the end time. Everybody's got to wake up. We're on the end time. The now, while, while, it's worth, while it's worth more. 
do tshuva now while it's a valid currency. Right. You know, you can wait till after Mashiach comes. There's no tshuva because you have no free will. It's not valid as currency. You see. If he's part of Erevrov, who is? Let's say Netanyahu. Can we say that? I mean, he is. He's, okay, he's so then it's a tragic that he is falling. I know that Rob just said because he's he still Jew. tremendous he, punishments, way more than because I guess yeah, oh yeah, it's terrible. I mean, I feel sorry for the guy but because in many ways he was an outstanding prime minister in certain aspects, but in many ways he was a terrible failure. You know, like I said, you know, we do not know the value of one Jewish neshama. We don't. You know, and you can't say, well, you know, we can tolerate a certain amount of deaths of Jews. You know from Hamas or Hezbollah well as long as that there's no war what are you talking about one Jewish life is worth your whole position like Rabban Kotler said to Morgenthau you know do we have an understanding of the life of one Jew of course not he's playing around with fire that's what he did played around with fire tragic really is you know uh, you know and you should know he's a, in many ways, he's a very bright guy Netanyahu you know and, you know, and he's, he's not anti-religious at all, you know. Not that he did anything, you know, the only reason why he did for the Haredim is because he needed them in the coalition, not because he wanted to do, because there's so many things that he could have done, as you pointed out, the Mishra Chinuch and so on, you know. He didn't, okay. But it's the agony and the anguish that he gave the Jews. I believe that's what came, comes back to haunt him. What can you say?